Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast. I'm your host, John, and today we're going to be talking about the, as of the time of recording, latest issue of the Knock magazine, a gaming collection of OSR bric-a-brac, issue three from the Merry Mushman. And I'm just going to be highlighting some of the articles that I particularly like in it and talking about it a bit in general. So we'll get straight to that after the music. Okay, so for those of you who aren't aware, the Knock magazine, and I'd say I hesitate to call it a zine because it's such a massive supplement. The third edition is about 212 pages, give or take, and there have been three issues published to date at the time of the recording. Each of them was kickstarted and is also available from either DriveThruRPG or the Merry Mushman's website. There'll be links in the description of this episode. And the zine started in the first issue as a curated collection of some of the best of the OSR blogosphere that had been selected by the editors, polished up a little bit, and there were a few sort of original pieces put in there. The amount of original sort of submissions to the zine seemed to have increased with issue two. And issue three for me definitely feels like there are, are more sort of specifically commissioned pieces in it. And in fact, the editor says that in the introduction that this is the first issue where there's probably been more content specifically written for the zine rather than collected from the OSR blogosphere. So because it's so massive, I'm not going to have a chance to look at all of the articles in it. I'm just going to pick and choose, as the editors did themselves, some of the articles that I really like in it. And then I'm just going to chat a bit generally about what I think about issue three of the Knock zine. So let's get straight into that. As is normally the case for Knock, it has a dust jacket on it, and the dust jacket itself also has some information on it, normally a little adventure or a location. In this case, it's the Valley of the Desert Hounds. Centuries ago, Gazerti the Saviour came to the High Sands and freed the country from the Desert Hound, imprisoning him in the Cursed Ziggurat. Since then, most desert peoples have avoided the valley around the ancient tomb out of respect for those who gave their lives to vanquish the Desert Hound's demonic armies. And in fact, it's a sandbox adventure for levels 1 to 2 characters, and you get location descriptions, random encounter charts, a little map, and pretty much everything you need all in the dust jacket. And I never fail to be impressed by the amount of information that the creators of Knock and the people who write this material get into these little dust jacket things. It's a great thing to see that even the dust jacket itself is getting used to provide information. As is also the case, usually you get a bookmark on thin cardstock with issue three that also has some cool information on it. In this case, it's a die drop character backstory generator, and it's based around your charisma. So the idea with this is that you generate the stats for your D&D character as normal, 
but you stop before rolling the charisma score. You drop 3d6 onto this dice roll chart. The sum of the dice is still your charisma score, but each dice also represents an event that happened sometime in your character's past. The space the dice landed on is the event, and the number gives you a result on a little d6 chart that tells you when it happened, ranging from last week all the way up to it occurred to your ancestors. And the events are things like was a guest at the hidden palace of a god, voice called out from within a cave, trollate friend, buried alive, repeatedly visited by owls. And they're quite vague, so there's a lot you could do with this. And although, I've, as I've said several times in the past on the podcast, I'm not a fan of massive backstories, I think that this system, which basically gives you like two or three events that you could run with and just extrapolate as much as you want, or as little as you want, is a pretty good way of doing it. Adds a nice random element, and it encourages you just to think about a few key events in your character's backstory, rather than write massive, voluminous reams of text, which, if you like that sort of thing, fair enough, but not for me. The only thing I will say I found slightly disappointing about issue three of Knock is that the first two issues both had these very striking sort of faces of like demonic creatures or undead creatures on them. And I like the idea they had like a face foremost and center, whereas the issue three cover art seems to have like the open maw of some sort of creature and a couple of people exploring it. And I don't know, it's just obviously art's a very personal thing, but for me, it just doesn't have the impact of the artwork on the previous two issues. But enough of that, let's get into the actual articles themselves. One of the first articles articles that caught my eye is an article called World Building Grotesque by Rosie Gray and in it it talks about the the sort of medieval fantastic and how much the, the sort of grotesqueness of bodies illness and stuff like that was incorporated as a matter of fact into this medieval fantastic aesthetic and how sort of bringing that into your game could lend a sort of air of i suppose authenticity to a pseudo medieval campaign and there's a few examples listed i thought that was really interesting it was something i was peripherally aware of but hadn't really considered bringing into my DD game too much but i really like how the author explains this in a no-nonsense fashion and i can see that adding a lot to a game we get an article from david mcgrogan about what happened to the bodies where basically if you we just sort of assume generally in DD that bodies get dealt with in some way but if you wanted a few more like descriptive ways of how it could be dealt with that would possibly lead into future encounters there's a series of random tables here that you can roll on for like humanoids large monsters and stuff like that to see what happened to the body of creatures that have been defeated there's also an article called i slit open the dragon's belly where the author gives us a series of roll tables for what the pcs might find when they slit open the corpse of a large monstrous creature that they have defeated and these are the six tables each of which has six options on them so you'd be rolling like 2d6 or d66 effectively but thoughtfully the author has said that you can roll a d44 instead if you wish to get the slightly less gonzo results so obviously the sort of more gonzo or fantastic results are at the sort of far end of these tables and i like the fact that whether you choose to use them or not gonzo is a, a matter of preference but i like the fact that the author has given those who don't want to use that as an option and has thought about where things are placed in the table as a result of that 
There's also the by now almost obligatory article about fungi and how they can be featured in OSR games. And it's basically a list of various examples of fungi, some based on real world ones, some obviously are more fantastical, and their effects that can be used in OSR games. We have an article called Revisiting the Domain Game by Jack Shear, where he talks about how the, the scale of the game changes somewhat when you become the masters of domain. But he also says that we should really be focusing on the sort of problems and issues that arise as a result of managing domains rather than the sort of everyday boring mundane stuff that occurs and i pretty much agree with that because let's face it no one really wants to play sort of bean counter the role play game we're much more interested in going into dungeons and stuff like that well at least i am and but managing a domain rather than sort of being seen as this strange sort of impediment to role-playing and adventuring should be used to boost up that feeling of other things can go wrong other complications can occur you've now effectively just got your complications and uh, sources of adventure writ large because they're coming from the whole of this domain that you're now in charge of we get some random tables in there as well for determining like unruly neighbors and such like and this dovetails neatly with joseph manola's article that follows where it says seven thoughts on domain level play and likewise he gives seven pieces of advice which are to keep the focus on problem solving keep the problems osr style make sure the pcs have access to a lot of highly specific assets for what were once threats and our resources simplify your factions and he gives some great tips on how to do that six don't overestimate the powers of the state and seven just let the pcs enjoy the fruits of their success this is really great advice and it's all set out in a nice no-nonsense fashion so i really appreciate that we then get a few random thing articles and a particularly interesting one for me by eric newden is a random wilderness in a deck of cards and it's a simple system to create and populate a wilderness using a deck of poker cards and a d20 the author says they found it useful for prep but with a little practice they can generate terrain and encounters at the table arranging the cards as a kind of map of course the the generic sort of random encounters listed should be adapted for your setting and i both like and don't like this approach and i love it because i can see the whole idea of like laying the cards out as a sort of zone map i think that's really cool for me though especially if i'm not like playing online i tend not to have access to a pack of playing cards or poker cards whereas i've got access to dice and stuff like that and i don't really fancy having to root around for a pack of cards but if you've got access to that or if you're doing some prep in between games i think this is a really cool idea we get some advice from Warren Denning on what to do now your first level magic user has cast their level one spell. And this ranges from simple things like using hirelings, throwing daggers, to like being more thoughtful, using oil flasks, uh, using equi additional equipment and stuff like that. And I think that's a really interesting article because quite often people seem to make the assumption that when you're a low level magic user, you cast that one spell and that's it. That's literally all you can do. And whilst doing your own casting magic spells is cool and all, you still have your player ingenuity and your nous to enable your mage to do other things, despite the fact that, yeah, okay, you've not got that many hit points. But as the author of this article points out, if you've got like six hirelings stood in front of you with like shields and pole arms, suddenly your life gets an awful lot safer.
The next article I want to highlight is by Matt Strom. And in the similar manner to the Knight Errant Generator in the previous issue, this is a Fairy Knight Generator. However, Fairy Knights are the inverse of Knights Errant. They're grotesque heraldry, making a mockery of the practice of the more noble human knights. And instead of pursuing a quest of their own, they impose a gears on unwary travellers. And again, this is a random sort of generator where you can determine the heraldry of the Fey Knight, what their characteristics are what their steed is like and that can range from like a giant earthworm to a bone chariot to a rhinoceros and all manner of crazy things their name the gias they can impose on people and the quirks they have so like never answering questions directly or taking great offense if others do to being refusing to speak any language but their own or being a fickle manipulator who can twist others wills to match their own sordid ends the next article I really enjoyed reading was an article by Eric Brimston called What Are My Rations? And this is basically a series of short D6 tables which you can roll on to determine what's on offer when you buy a day's ration from a settlement. And this is a very simple set of tables, but it gives an additional bit of texture and depth and dimension to something we otherwise don't consider. We just pay the gold pieces. We go, all right, I've got three days worth of rations. Let's go. Whereas with this, you can roll a dice and be like, oh, I've got an aged blue cheese and thick crackers, or I've got pickled radishes in wax paper. And it has no difference really mechanically but it just adds that little bit of extra detail and, if you'll forgive the pun, flavour. And I love things like that that can just add a little bit extra to your setting. As is the usual in Knock, we get some lovely maps that you can take and drop into your games. Then we get some additional monsters from the Herdlings, who are like these weird sort of reversed centaurs, the Scrapule, Homunculites... Blighter, this disease-ridden undead creature, first seen lurking in catacombs, and the Eidolon, an undead spirit of a cleric who died whilst in the grips of despair, no longer finding solace in their once true faith. The Birch Maiden, a distant cousin of Dryads. Finally, the Tenacious Helmet, which is a haunted piece of headgear. We then get some ODND-style race as classes, classes we get the lost droid again mixing sci-fi and fantasy so how much mileage you get out of that will depend on how much you like that in your game but it's been happening since forever so i don't really have a problem with it that's a ninth level class we get the rat catcher which i love because i'm a big fan of warhammer fantasy role playing that pathetic aesthetic that was discussed in knock issue two so i love that the blemire which is modeled i believe on the strange sort of medieval folklore of a humanoid species who didn't have a head but they had their their facial features set in their chest that's pretty interesting we get the laser mage which uh I, i've got to admit i'm not really particularly keen it's basically saying oh you know how some people call illusionist wizards but more useful useless well illusions are just light which has been bent and sculpted by magic users well this is a mage that can focus that to create lasers doesn't really work particularly for me but you know if you like it great the space vampire based on vampirella again i have a hard time seeing how, how i'd fit that into a game of my running but you know it might work for you the chenot which is a species of plant-like 
creatures. And then we get like a really nice sort of like random little bit at the end of this a little sort of like filler article by Nate Treem where he's talking about a fun way to practice drawing. Start with the basic shape and then add details until it's a character or something. And there's some little cartoon examples there. And that, I've got to admit, although I'm not really a big fan of stuff like that, it brought a chuckle and a little smile to my face. So I really enjoyed that. And then we get a few sort of mini adventures and encounter tables after that which obviously is a bit of a mixed bag but that's absolutely fine and then we round off with a few more random tables before the end of the issue so what did i think of knock issue three well as i've said earlier it definitely seemed to me like there were more articles that were purposefully written for knock in this issue rather than it being purely stuff that's been gathered from around the OSR blogosphere. And I've got to say, I don't mean to be overly critical, but I've got to admit, I wasn't as sold on issue three as I was on issues one and two. That's not to say it's bad by any means. Far from it. I think there's a great deal of value in it. As I've said previously in my flip throughs of issue one and two, because it's a bit of a gaming grab bag, there's always going to be the risk that some or all of the stuff might not appeal to you. And I think in this issue, there were just more articles that didn't appeal to me than there were ones that did. Whereas in issues one and two, there was a few that didn't really jibe with me, but I enjoyed the rest of the content. Now, do I regret backing issue three on Kickstarter? No, not at all, because like I said, with like 212 odd pages, even though there's quite a few bits and pieces I don't like in it, as you've heard in this episode, well, I say I don't like, there's a few bits that don't really like particularly sing out to me, but as you've heard in this episode, there's also an awful lot that I do like in Knock Issue 3, and I shall definitely be dipping into it in future to pull some stuff out of it for my games. And pretty much, if you like the first two issues of Knock, then you'll get a lot out of this. If you're interested in the sort of grab bag approach and you're willing to take the risk that there will be a few articles that maybe don't jibe with your particular tastes, then you'll get an awful lot of value out of Knock. Now, Knock issue three has only just been delivered to Kickstarter backers. That's where I got mine from. However, it's available for pre-order in print and PDF on the Merry Mushman's website for 27 euros and i would expect based on their previous issues that when it does come out it's also going to be available in pdf format on drive through rpg so like I say if you're interested in delving into this bric-a-brac collection of osr info and finding some really quite interesting general articles that will provoke a lot of different thoughts in your minds then i suggest you pick it up and give it a look we hope you've enjoyed these episodes looking at the first three issues of the Knock Cuisine. If you'd like to tell us anything about them, what you think about Knock in general, what you think about our coverage about it, love it or hate it, then you can get in touch with us a number of different ways. You can leave us a voicemail message on SpeakPipe or Anchor using the links in the description of this episode, or you can send us an email to rddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. So until we see you again, take care, stay safe, and whatever you're playing, have fun.